just please bless this time that we open your scriptures. We love you, Lord, in your precious and holy name I pray. Amen. Okay, well, we find ourselves here in John chapter number 20. And if you remember last week, in John 19, we saw the, resur- uh, the, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Now we're dealing with the subject of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, if you look at verse 1, the Bible says, The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark, unto the sepulcher, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulcher. Now, I want you to keep your finger in John chapter number 20, because we're going to be coming right back to it. But go with me to Matthew chapter number 28. Matthew chapter number 28, and Matthew is the very first book in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. If you don't know that, ask one of these kids. They know it. So Matthew chapter number 28, look at verse 1. Matthew chapter number 28 and verse 1, the Bible says, And in the end, and I'm sorry, in the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven, and came and rolled back the stone from the door, and sat upon it. Now I want you to just, you know, I'm just showing you this, because sometimes when you're reading through the Gospels, you know, you read things, and uh, some Gospels will leave things out, and really all four of them need to be looked at together, uh, to be able to make sense of the chronology of everything that's going on. In John chapter number 20, verse 1, you know, that happened... Uh, you know, all of that happened, or well, everything I just read, Matthew 28, uh, verses 1 through 2, happened before John chapter number 20. When the angel came down, and there was an earthquake, and he rolled the stone away, that happened before Mary got there, um, because when they got to the sepulchre, the Bible says the stone was already rolled away. You don't have to turn there, but in Mark chapter number 16, and verse 2, the Bible says, and very early, early in the morning, the first day of the week, uh, they came unto the sepulchre at the rising of the sun, and they said among themselves. So the women, Mary, and the other Mary, said among themselves, Who shall roll us away the stone from the door of the sepulchre? So as they're traveling down, they're asking like, they're thinking to themselves, Who's going to roll the stone away? Because it was a huge stone, you know? And in Luke chapter number 24 and verse 1, again, you have to turn there, I'll just read it for you. The Bible says, Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came unto the sepulchre, bringing the spices which they had prepared, and certain other uh, with them, and they found the stone rolled away from the sepulchre. So as they're going towards the sepulchre, they're wondering, who's going to roll the stone away so we can access the body of Jesus Christ? But in Luke, uh, in, in Luke uh, 24, it tells us that when they get there, the stone's already rolled away. So the angel came down, the earthquake happened, he rolled the stone away, the guards, you know, they got scared and they became as dead men. All of that happened before Mary got to the sepulchre. Um, but if you go back to John chapter 20, I just want you to understand that. Because in verse 1 it says, In the first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark unto the sepulchre, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulchre. Okay, so she gets there, that's already happened. Now you say, well, what, what's the big deal about the stone? Well, here's the big deal about the stone. Actually, are you, are you there? I'm sorry, I told you to go back to John 20. But go back to Matthew chapter number 27. Look at verse number 63. In John chapter number, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter number 27. And verse number 63, because I don't, I want you to see this. There, there's a, the, you got to understand the purpose of the stone. In Matthew 27, 63, the Bible says, saying, Sir, now these are the Pharisees speaking to Pilate. And they, they're saying, Sir, we remember that the deceiver said, while he was yet alive, they're talking about Jesus, they call him the deceiver, after three days I will rise again. Command therefore that the sepulchre be made sure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away, and say unto the people, he is risen from the dead, so that... 
so the last error shall be worse than the first. Pilate said unto them, Ye have a watch, go your way, make it sure as ye can. So they went and made the sepulchre sure, sealing the stone and setting a watch. So the reason they put the stone there is because they were, the Pharisees were afraid that the disciples were going to come and take away the body of Jesus and say that He resurrected because Jesus had said He would resurrect you know, three days after He died. So the stone, the purpose of the stone was to keep Jesus in. Okay, But you've got to understand, you know, many people think that the angel came down and He rolled the stone away so that Jesus could get out. But that's not true. The purpose that the angel rolled the stone away was in order to show people that Jesus was already gone. Okay? Because Jesus resurrected from the grave, and we're going to see here in the chapter, it's actually pretty cool, in His glorified body, He's able to just walk through doors, walk through walls, walk through the stone. I mean, He walked out, He was no longer in the sepulcher, and the angel rolled the stone away, not to let Jesus out, but to show people, hey, He's not here, let me show you. You're there in Matthew 27, look at Matthew chapter number 28 again. Look at verse 1. And in the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulchre. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. And look what he says in verse 6. He is not here. So he's not saying, oh, he's here, let me let him out. He says, he's not here, for he is risen. As he said. And then he says, come, see. You notice how he says, I want you to see the place where the Lord lay. So he said, I'm going to open up this tomb so you can see that he's no longer here. And then that happens, uh, you know, and Mary shows up and the stone's already rolled away. So go back with me to John chapter number 20. Now here's what you got to understand. Okay? We've gone through this before. And I, I haven't really decided yet. I might preach a sermon on it again on Sunday. But... You know, we, we talked about this before on, on Wednesday nights. The Jewish day begins in the evening, okay? Actually, similar to our, our day, a new day begins at midnight, our time. You know, that's in the middle of the night. Um, but like today's Wednesday, at midnight tonight, it'll become Thursday. Well, the Jewish day, their day began at 6 p.m., okay? So, Jesus really, because the Bible says in John 21, the first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark. So, she's coming on Sunday morning, okay, the first day of the week. But it's early in the morning while it's still dark, and Jesus already gone. But really, the first day of the week began, you know, by our terminology, Saturday night at 6 p.m. So, Saturday night at 6 p.m., they were, you know, the, the first day of the week began. And Jesus resurrected from the grave sometime after Saturday night at 6 p.m., and before the dawning of, you know, just before the sun came up. He was already gone. And, the, and Mary comes early in the morning, even before the sun comes. And in other passages, it tells us that she came, you know, right before the dawn. So, just so you understand, their calendar is different than our calendar. Their Sunday, their first day of the week started, to us, it would be Saturday at 6 p.m. But that was their first day of the week. So, Jesus might have very likely risen, you know, at 6 p.m. Saturday night. But that's their first day of the week, um, you know. And they came early in the morning. Because they have the evening first, from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m., and then they have from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., that's what they consider the day. So, they came, you know, the, the day, but He rose the first day of the week. Anyway, uh, just so you understand that when you're reading the Scriptures, He was already risen from the grave, um, you know, sometime in the night after 6 p.m. Saturday, our time. When Mary Magdalene came to the sepulchre early in the morning, when it was still dark, Jesus was already raised 
from the grave. Alright? So, uh, look at verse 2. John chapter number 20, and verse 2. The Bible says, Then she runneth, and cometh to Simon Peter, and to the other disciple. Now, remember, the other disciple is John. And that's going to become clear in John 21. He, uh, you know, we're told that. But whenever in the book of John, you read a, a disciple whose name's not mentioned, the other disciple, the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John himself. And the Bible says, She came to Simon Peter, and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, and saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher, and we know not where they have laid him. Peter therefore went forth and that other disciple and came to the sepulchre. So they ran both together and the other disciple, that's John, did outrun Peter and came first to the sepulchre. And he stooping down and looking in saw the linen clothes lying, yet went he not in. Then cometh Simon Peter following him and went into the sepulchre and seeth the linen clothes lying. And the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Now this is interesting to me and it's really not anything preaching but just something for you to see. It's interesting to see the different characteristics of the, of the Bible characters. You know, John outruns Peter. You know, they both take off at the same time is what the Bible says. They're running towards the sepulchre. John outruns Peter. You know, he's a little better shape than Peter is. But when he gets to the, to the sepulchre, the Bible says he doesn't go in. He stays out and he just stoops down and looks into it. Alright? And maybe out of respect or reverence, you know, this is where Jesus Christ is. But Peter, you know, comes behind him, catches up to John and just runs past John and just runs into the sepulchre. And it just seems like Peter. You know, just the type of thing that Peter would do. If you're familiar with Peter, you know, through the scriptures, he's just the type of guy who's just going to, you know, he just runs in, no reverence, no respect. You know, that's interesting to me that, that um, you know, the different characteristics there. Uh, of the, I, I love it when you can see the, the human side, you know, of, uh, of the Bible characters. But look at verse 8. Then went in also that other disciple, which came first to the sepulchre, and he saw and believed. So Peter walks in, so then John's like, well, okay, whatever, might as well walk in. So he walks in, he sees that it's empty, and the Bible says he saw and believed. Now, that's interesting. In verse 9 it says, For as yet they knew not the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. So John believed, okay, that Jesus was risen from the grave, even though he didn't really understand biblically that that's what's supposed to He didn't really understand, he just believed anyway. Now, it's interesting because, if, go back with me to Luke chapter number 24. Luke chapter number 24. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Right before the book of John. And look at what the Bible says about Peter. Because John runs in, sees the sepulchre is empty, and the Bible says he believed, for as yet he knew not the scripture. So he didn't even know, he just believed it. But Luke 24, 12 says, Then arose Peter and ran unto the sepulchre, and stooping down, he beheld the linen clothes laid by themselves, and departed, look what it says, he departed, wondering in himself at that which was come to pass. So Peter, the Bible doesn't say that he believed. He just leaves, and he's just thinking about it. And I'm not even, I'm not picking on Peter, I'm not saying that's necessarily, a, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying it's necessarily a right thing for John to believe something he doesn't understand from the scripture. But again, just you see the differences in the characteristics. John runs in, you know, Mary told him Jesus rose from the grave, he sees it empty, he doesn't understand it, he doesn't he can't prove it to you from the Bible, but he just believes it. And then Peter runs in and he just kinda takes it in and he leaves and he just wonders about it. He's just thinking about it. So you know uh, you know interesting to see how these people, you know, how they think and what they do. The disciples, and, and you know, this is another interesting thing. The disciples, they don't understand 
that Jesus is supposed to rise, raise from the grave, they're confused about it, they're, they're not believing it, they're questioning it. But if you remember when we, I was showing you about the stone, the Pharisees, you don't have to turn there, but I'll read it for you, Matthew 27, 62. Now the next day that, uh, that followed, the day of the preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees came together into Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember that the, that the deceiver, which, while he was yet alive, after three days, uh, said, you know, I'm sorry, let me read this for you. We remember that the deceiver said, while he was yet alive, after three days, I will rise again. And then they asked, you know, if they could put a stone, and they asked if they could... So it's, it's interesting to me, the Pharisees understand, you know, they, they have no problem, problem remembering that Jesus said that after three days he would rise again, but for some reason, John, Peter, all the disciples, they just have no clue. They don't get it. You know, and it's it's interesting to me. You know, if you can study these people, but you know what? Even in our life today, sometimes I'm talking to somebody about certain things, doctrine or whatever, and people who you think should get it, people who you think should understand it, just don't get it. You know, simply don't understand it. You know, but you see that with the people in Scripture. You know, you think John, the disciple who Jesus loved, would understand? Oh yeah, of course he is not there. You know, he's supposed to rise here. That's what he said. But the Pharisees remember it. You know, so it's just interesting. As we go through these stories, if you really, you know, look and put, like, flesh on these people, and you start thinking of them as human beings, you know, what they're saying and how they're acting. I'm going to look at verse 10, John chapter number 20, verse 10. Then the disciples went away again unto their own home. But Mary stood without at the sepulcher, weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher. And seeth two angels in white sitting, and one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. And they say unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She saith unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing, and knew not that it was Jesus. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She, supposing him to be the gardener, saith unto him, Sir, if thou hast borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus saith unto her, Mary. She turned herself and said unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. You know, what a privilege for Mary Magdalene, who was the first person that Jesus appeared to after his resurrection. The very first person who, who got to lay their eyes on Jesus Christ after he resurrected from the grave. You just read it right now, was Mary Magdalene, and she got to see him. And that, you know, that's, that's got to be uh, a great privilege. And I'm sure she, uh, you know, that's something great, you know, she, for the rest of her life, you know, no one will be able to say, you know, that they were the first ones to see Jesus Christ after the resurrection, except for Mary. So Jesus must have really loved Mary. Uh, look at verse 17. Jesus said unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my Father, and your Father, and to my God, and your God. Now I want you to keep your finger there in John, because we're going to be uh, going back and forth. But go with me to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter number 9. Start moving towards the end of your New Testament. Hebrews chapter number 9. Now you ask, why did Jesus say, touch me not? Because if you remember, later on, when He appears to them, He's going to say, handle me. You know, feel my hand and feel me. So He tells Mary, don't touch me. And He says, here's the reason. He said, touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father. But later on, He comes back and He says, hey, touch me. So what's, so He can't be touched until He goes to His Father. You say, why is that? Go with me to Hebrews chapter number 9 and verse 8. Hebrews chapter number 9 and verse 8. The Bible says in Hebrews 9, 8, The Holy Ghost is signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest, while as the first tabernacle was yet standing. Now you've got to understand, 
He's talking about the first tabernacle. That's the tabernacle that Moses built. If you remember the tabernacle, God showed Moses the the tabernacle and, and Moses wrote down instructions and they built the tabernacle where they had the sacrifices and that's what he's talking about. Look at verse 9. Talking about that tabernacle that Moses built in the Old Testament, he said, which was a figure for the time then present in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience. So he says, you know, that was a figure of things to come. He said that could not make that person perfect. Look at verse 10. Which stood only in the meats and drinks and diverse washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of reformation. So he says they, they, they did those things until a certain time, the time of reformation. Alright, look at verse 11. But Christ, being common high priest, you remember when we preached about Jesus Christ, who was a high priest by the order of Melchizedek? And it says, Christ being come in high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building. So the Bible says that Jesus Christ, because you remember Jesus Christ was the Lamb, and He was slain for our sins. And Jesus Christ is our Passover. So Jesus Christ played the role of the Lamb. If you remember the Old Testament Passover, they take the Lamb and they kill the Lamb, and that would be the sacrifice for their sin. Well, that was a picture of Jesus Christ on the cross. He played the role of that Lamb. But after His resurrection, Jesus Christ played the role of the High Priest. The High Priest would then take the blood of that Lamb, and He would walk into the Holies of Holy, and He would sprinkle that blood on the mercy seat seven times, and that would be the atonement for the people for that year, for their sins. Well, Jesus Christ literally took His blood and went up to heaven and walked into the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle in heaven and walked into the you know, mercy seat in heaven and took His blood and sprinkled it seven times. And one day when we get to heaven, we're going to be able to see the blood of Jesus Christ still there. Because that's what He did in verse 11. He says, But Christ being come and I priest... Of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands. So he went to a tabernacle that wasn't made with human hands. And that is to say, not of this building. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place. So notice, Jesus didn't have to do it every year, like the earthly high priest did. He did it once. Having obtained eternal redemption, that's eternal life, that's eternal security for us. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling uh, the unclean sanctified to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And if you see that again, he's saying he's going to purge your conscience from dead works. Because he... We talked about this before. There's two types of way to believe. You either believe that you're saved by faith in Jesus Christ, or you believe that you're saved by works. Every religion in the world preaches salvation by works. The Catholic Church will tell you, you got to get baptized to be saved. you got to take communion to be saved. you got to do this, and you got to do that to be saved. Every religion in the world will tell you, they'll give you a list of things you've got to do. But the Bible says that we are saved and we are sanctified from those dead works, because those works can't save you, is what it says. Um, look at verse 14. Where were we at? Uh, how much more shall the blood of Jesus Christ through the eternal spirit offered himself uh, without spot to God purge your conscience from the dead works to serve the living God? Verse 15. And for this cause he is the mediator of the New Testament that by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first testament they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. 
So Jesus said, if you want to just keep your finger there in Hebrews, but if you want to flip back to John chapter 20 and verse 17, he said, Jesus said unto her, touch me not, for I am not yet ascended unto my father. Okay, the high priest, if you go back to Leviticus, there was a whole, the high priest didn't just walk into the holies of holies. First of all, only one person could walk into that Holy of Holies, and that was a high priest. But even the high priest wasn't allowed to walk in at his will. He was only allowed to walk in to perform this sacrifice. And he had to go through a whole process. There were certain washings he had to do. He had to wash his body. He had to put on certain clothes and take certain clothes off. He had to sanctify himself. And once he was ready to do that, you couldn't just walk up to the high priest and just kind of pat him on the back, you know? They were told that if he was touched, he would have to go back and rewash himself and take his clothes off and put clothes back on. Because he had to be sanctified when he walked in to do this sacrifice. And that's why Jesus is saying, don't touch me. Because he's still performing the role of the high priest and he has to walk into the Holy of Holies without anybody touching him, without anybody who's been undefiled. Because if you remember the Old Testament, you could be defiled or you could, you know... And then you have to go be, you know, you'd have to go outside of the city for seven days or whatever, you know. So Jesus is saying, don't touch me, because he's still performing the role of the high priest. He has to go up to his father, but then when he comes back, he tells Thomas, and he tells all his disciples, oh, handle me, you can touch me, whatever, because he's performed that role. So that's what's going on there, just so you understand that. But if you look at the last part of verse 17, you know, he says, just, just say that there's touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my father. Now notice what he says. He says, I ascend unto my father, and look what he says, and your father, and to my God, and your God. Now, go back to Hebrews, and look at Hebrews chapter number 7. Look at verse 19. Hebrews chapter number 7 and verse 19. The Bible says in Hebrews 7, 19, For the law made nothing perfect. You know, all these people, we knock on their doors and we ask them, you know, do you know for sure if that's it, you go to heaven? And they'll say yes. And I'll ask him, you know, how do you know that? And they'll say, well, because I try to keep the Ten Commandments. I try to keep the law. I try to live a good life. Well, look, Hebrews 7.19 says, The law made nothing perfect. But the bringing in of a better hope did. What was that better hope? Jesus Christ. I'm sorry to break it to you. It was not Barack Obama. The better hope was Jesus Christ. He says, But the bringing in of that better hope did. What did that better hope do? It made things perfect. For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of better hope did, by the which we draw nigh unto God. So the Bible says that we can draw nigh to God, we can get closer to God. Why? Because of the blood that He sprinkled on the mercy seat, because He was the Lamb, because He was the High Priest, and because of salvation, we can draw nigh unto God. So if you notice in John 20.17, you can go back there, He says, touch me not, I'm not yet ascended to my Father. He says, I'm going to perform the role of the High Priest. And then He says, I go to my Father, and your father and to my God and your God why? because he's saying now a sinner can be reconciled unto God now a sinner can be saved and can have a relationship with God he's saying you're going to be able to draw nigh unto God because of what I'm going to do Mary is what he's saying to her later on go with me to Luke chapter 24 look at this Luke chapter 24 later on in that day he appears to the disciples in Luke 24 good night I am running out of time. Luke chapter number 24, look at verse 36. Luke chapter number 24 and verse 36. The Bible says, And as they thus spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. But they were terrified and frightened. And you would be too if you just saw somebody you thought was dead. And suppose that they had seen a spirit. And he said unto them, Why are ye troubled? And why do thoughts arise in your heart? Behold, my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. And he says, Handle me. And see. Now this is so he says, handle me. He says, touch me and look. But this is interesting too. He says, For a spirit hath not flesh and bones as ye 
see me have. Now look, if you've ever gone soul winning and talked to a Jehovah's Witness, the Jehovah's Witness will tell you this. Jesus did not have a bodily resurrection. He was raised up as a spirit. But look, in Luke 24, 39, I don't understand these false religions. They just must never read their Bibles. Because in Luke 24, 39, Jesus himself said, being resurrected, he said, behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. He says, handle me and see. And he, and he even says, I'm not a spirit. He says, for a spirit have not flesh and bones as ye see me have. Because you've got to understand, okay? Jesus walks in. They think he's dead. They think he's a spirit. Okay, just like if you remember uh, when Jesus was walking on water and he was walking towards his disciples in the ship and they saw him and they thought he was a spirit. You know, they think he's some sort of a ghost or something. And he's telling them, look, handle me. He said, I'm not a spirit. He said, for a spirit had no flesh and bones. He said, look, I've got flesh. I've got bones. In verse 40 he says, and when he had thus spoken, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they yet believed not for joy and wondered, he said unto them, have ye have here any meat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and of and a honeycomb, and he took it and did eat before them. So, you know, even more proof that he has a body because he's hungry. He says, do you have anything to eat? You know, and they give him broiled fish and he eats it, you know. So that's interesting there. You could take a Jehovah's Witness to Luke chapter number 24 uh, to show him that. But go back to John 20, 18. John chapter number 20, verse 18. Mary Magdalene came and told his disciples that she had seen the Lord, and that he had spoken these things unto her. Then came... Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and said unto them, Peace be unto you. Now look, no, nothing in the Bible is put in there by coincidence. Alright? Everything is there for a reason. And the Bible says, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut. The Bible says, specifically tells us, the doors were closed, and they were closed for fear of the Jews. Because Jesus just got, you know, just died three days ago. And they're following Jesus. They're disciples of Jesus Christ. So they're afraid that the Jews might come kill them. So the doors are shut, is what the Bible says, for fear of the Jews. And then it says, came Jesus and stood in the midst and said unto them, peace be unto you. Did it say that the doors opened? No. He just walked right through in His glorified body. You know, isn't that interesting? When we get our glorified bodies, we're going to be able to just walk through doors. And walk. You know, and that's how He walked out of the tomb. The, roll, the stone had him rolled away, but He just walked right out because He was in His glorified body. Take notice of this too. John 20, 19. The Bible says, then, say, then the same day at evening, look what it says, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut with his, uh, where the disciples were assembled. So the Bible is saying, they were assembled being the first day of the week. So it's saying like, because it was the first day of the week, they were assembled. Okay? You know, in the Bible, if you look at, you know, the entire New Testament, starting with Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, going through Acts and all of that, traditionally, the disciples met on the first day of the week. You know, sometimes people ask me, why don't we have church on the Sabbath? Well, look, the Bible says that they met the first day of the week. It says they were assembled together, being the first day of the week. That, that's what they did on Sunday. You know what they did on Saturday, on the seventh day, on the Sabbath day? They went to the synagogue to go soul winning, you know. So we go soul winning on Saturday and any other day we can, because that's what Jesus did. But what do we do on Sunday, the first day of the week? We gather together, we assemble ourselves. Look at what it says. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled. So they were assembled on the first day of the week. Uh, for fear of the Jews came Jesus and stood in the midst and said unto them, Peace be unto you. Let me read for you a few verses. You don't have to turn to them. But Acts chapter number 20 and verse 7, the Bible says, And upon the first day of the week, 
When the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. So you see there again, that they met on the first day of the week, they broke bread, and then Paul preached. You say, why, why do you do the things you do at Verity Baptist Church? Well, we just try to follow by. We meet on the first day of the week, we break donuts, and then I preach. <laughs> you know, that's what we do. Because that's what Jesus said. That's what they did in the New Testament. They met on the first day of the week. Church is supposed to be on Sunday. And then we meet on Wednesday night because Jesus Christ was uh, crucified on Wednesday night. 1 Corinthians chapter number 16 and verse 2. The Bible says, Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store as God hath prospered him. So Paul was telling these people, I want you to take an offering on the first day of the week. I want you to bring your offering on the first day of the week. And if you remember from Malachi, where are you supposed to bring your tithes and offerings to? To the storehouse. To the house of God. So... You see there, and you know, all over the New Testament, you see that they're meeting for church on Sunday. And that's why we do it on Sunday. Um, go, go to John chapter 20 and look at verse 19. The same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, and Jesus, Jesus and stood in the midst, and said unto them, Peace be unto you. Now, you've you got to keep a few things in mind. Jesus just met with Mary on, in the morning. He said, don't touch me because I've got to ascend to my Father in heaven. He comes back and he lets, lets them touch him. So he, Jesus literally went to heaven and back in one day. He's walking through doors. He's walking through stones. He's in his glorified body. You know, you may ask, what's the difference between Jesus being resurrected from the grave and then everyone else who got resurrected? Like a perfect example, in uh, John chapter 11, if you notice, Lazarus was resurrected from the grave. You know, what's the difference between all the people in the Old Testament who were resurrected from the grave and Jesus Christ? Well, here's the difference. All the people who were resurrected from the grave before Jesus, they all died again. Okay? They... Lazarus was not resurrected in his glorified body. He died again, you know, years later or whatever. But Jesus was resurrected in his glorified body, never to die again. So when we get resurrected, you know, at the rapture, uh, we're not going to get resurrected in this body. The Bible says that this corruptible will put on incorruption, and this mortality will put on immortality. So we'll be given a glorified body that's not going to have the defects that this body has. And, you know, hopefully, I'm hoping we'll be able to fly and walk through walls and all that cool stuff, you know. Just like Jesus is doing, just traveling to heaven and back in one day and doing all sorts of good things. So that's, that's the difference between the resurrection. That's why the Bible calls Jesus the first fruits of the resurrection. He's the first person to resurrect from the grave. He said, well, how can he be the first fruits if Lazarus resurrected, all these people in the Old Testament resurrected? Because they resurrected in their mortal bodies, and then they died again later on. Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection in your glorified body, never to die again. Look at verse 20. John chapter number uh, 20 and verse 20. And when he, he had uh, so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus unto them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father has sent me, even so send I you. Now, the Gospels, you know, they all have the Great Commission. You, you may ask, well, what's the Great Commission in the, in, the, in, in the book of John? Well, here it is, in John chapter 20 and verse 1. The Great Commission is when He says to them, Peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. So He was saying, you know... God sent me here for a certain purpose. I'm, I was here to do a certain job. And now I'm sending you out with that same purpose. I'm commissioning you out with that same uh, task. You say, well, what was the task? Well, you don't have to turn there. I'm, I'm reading these verses for you because there's just so much. I don't want to, uh, 
you know, waste too much time. But in Luke 19.10, the Bible says, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. The Bible says that Jesus Christ came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to, to find sinners and get them saved. That's what the Father sent Him to do. And then He said to us, He said, Even so, send I you. So He said, What is our job um, as a church? To seek and to save to go soul winning. You know, and I know it sounds like, I, I sometimes feel like I'm just repetitive. But the Bible, the Bible is repetitive. Over and over in the Bible, you know, and today people believe in this thing called the social gospel. Where they don't even believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They don't necessarily believe in preaching the gospel as far as getting people saved. They just want to be like a community help. You know, they just want to be like this charity organization. You know, churches just want to feed the poor and, you know, give, you know, uh, shelter for the homeless. And look, all of that stuff is good. But there's there's nothing good in feeding a homeless person and giving them somewhere to spend the night and then letting them die and go to hell. You know? The Bible says that our job is to seek and to save that which was lost. And that's why at Verity Baptist Church, our number one priority is to go out door knocking trying to get people saved. Because maybe we don't have the resources right now and maybe one day we will. But maybe we don't have the resources of this great shelter and put all these people in and feed them and all that. But at least we're doing the most important job which is getting them saved. So they don't die and go to hell. And Jesus, that's what he said for us to do. Look at verse 22. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Now here, you know, here's another thing that's interesting. Jesus tells his disciples, he breathed on them and he says, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Now you may be asking, well, I thought that, you know, people say this, you get the, the Holy Ghost came down on the day of Pentecost. Not true. You know, because if that was true, if the Holy Ghost was given at the day of Pentecost, then what do you do with John chapter number 20 and verse 22? John chapter number 20 and verse 22 happens before Acts chapter number 2. You know? So, Jesus said, receive you the Holy Ghost. If He said, receive you the Holy Ghost, then they received the Holy Ghost. And the Bible said that He breathed on them. You say, well, what's that about? Well, that's, that's what the word Spirit, you know, the Holy Spirit, the word Spirit comes from that same root word as breathing. You know, you've heard of like, you know, Ex, you know, you, you inhale and you exhale. It's the same terminology as inspiring and expiring. You know, the Bible says when, when people were inspired, you know, that word means God actually breathed those words. You know, that's what it means. So he's breathing on the same, the same picture as when God took Adam and he breathed into him life and he made, gave them the spirit of life. Jesus is now breathing on them, giving them the Holy Ghost and quickening them spiritually. You know, and giving them the Holy Ghost. Now you may ask, well, then what happened at the day of Pentecost? Okay, well, you got to understand the difference between the indwelling of the Holy Ghost versus the filling of the Holy Ghost or the power of the Holy Ghost. Okay, um, in the in Acts chapter number two, and we're going to get to it in a couple of weeks once we're done with John and we get into Acts. You know, we'll, we'll be there, so I'll preach an entire sermon on it. But in Acts chapter two, I said that they were filled with the Holy Ghost. They got the power of the Holy Ghost, all right? All over the Old Testament, you'll find this terminology. The Spirit of the Lord came upon, you know, so-and-so. Or the Spirit of God came upon so-and-so. Or the hand of God came upon so-and-so. You know, but that was the power of God, you know. The Spirit of God came upon Samson, and he was able to do something great. The Spirit of God came upon Othniel, and he was able to do something great. The Spirit of God came upon Saul, and he was able to do, you know, prophesy. The Spirit of the Lord came upon David, and he was able to... But here's the difference. The Spirit of God came upon came off of Saul. Okay? The Spirit of God came off of Samson. Because the power of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit coming upon you with power is something that could be tempor temporary. It could come upon you and then it could leave you 
based on your sin. But the indwelling of the Holy Ghost is permanent. And no one had ever been indwelled until John chapter number 20 and verse 22. When Jesus indwelled Go back with me to John chapter number 7. Let me show you something. John chapter number 7 and verse 38. John 7, 38. Jesus was speaking about this subject. And look what he says. John 7, 38. He says, He that believeth on me... As the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of, the, of living water. Look at verse 39. But this he spake of the Spirit, which they that believed on him should receive. So they haven't received it yet, but they should receive it if they believe. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given. Why was the Holy Ghost not yet given? Because that Jesus was not yet glorified. So what was the reason that the Holy Ghost wasn't given? Jesus wasn't glorified. John chapter number 20 and verse 22. Guess what? Jesus is glorified. He's in His glorified body. He's in His resurrected body. So He can now give them the Holy Spirit. So when did they get the indwelling of the Holy Spirit? John. When did they get the power of the Holy Spirit? Acts chapter number 2. But we could, we, we could get the power of the Holy Spirit now. And the power of the Holy Spirit could leave us now. You know, if we get into sin... God could remove His power from our lives. But does that mean we're not saved anymore? Of course we're still saved. We still have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit of God until the day of redemption. The Bible says that He will not leave us nor forsake us. So the indwelling of the Spirit is permanent. You get it when you get saved and you'll keep it. It will be with you until you go to heaven. Until, you know, until you're in your glorified body. But the power of the Holy Ghost can come upon you now and can leave you, can come upon you, can come leave you. So that's the difference. The difference between the indwelling and the filling of the Spirit. Two different things. And by the way, and we'll get into it in Acts chapter number 22, but we're not talking about this Pentecostal nonsense where they're barking like dogs and speaking in tongues. That's not biblical. And you know, stick around here and we'll get to Acts chapter number 2 and we'll explain that also as well. But that's, what, that, that's what's happening there. Jesus is there indwelled with the Holy Ghost for the first time. Things are changing because Jesus died on the cross and is resurrected. They're no longer going to have a high priest. They're no longer going to, you know, have these sacrifices. They're getting the Holy Spirit. There's a lot, it's a, it's a time of change um, because of what Jesus did. Look at verse 23. John chapter number 20, verse 23. Whosoever sins you remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins you retain, they are retained. Now, this is an interesting verse. Let me spend some time on this. The Catholic is going to tell you, is going to take this verse and other verses similar to it, and they're going to say that God gave man the power to grant salvation to people and to take salvation away. Okay? They believe that God gave Jesus Christ, uh, that Jesus Christ, I'm sorry, gave the church, you know, the Catholic church, the power to save and to take people's salvation away. You say, I've never heard that. Have you ever heard of this term? Excommunication. Communicate. If the Catholic Church, they believe that they can excommunicate you. If they, if you don't, you're not a good Catholic. You do something that upsets them. They can excommunicate you uh, from the church. Well, you know, they'll, they'll say, well, excommunication just means you're no longer part of the church. Well, here's the thing: excommunication means this: you're not allowed to take communion. Okay, that's, that's why it's excommunication. Well, the Catholic Church teaches that you must take communion to be saved. You know, you got to take it every week or whatever. That's why they do it every week. You got to take communion. So the, what they're saying is this. You got to take communion to be saved, but we're going to excommunicate you. We're not going to let you back in church, so you can't take communion. So what are they doing? Based on their dumb philosophy, which is not true, they're damning you to hell. They believe that God, that God gave them the ability to, you know, give people salvation, to take people's salvation away. And, and look, and, and it's interesting to me because notice that the terminology. He says, "Whosoever," he said, "Whosoever sins, ye remit." Notice what it says, remit. They are remitted, remitted unto them. 
And whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained unto them. Now, it's interesting to me, I've got these false Bibles up here. The New International 